Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we're pick, picking up in Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, it's in your bulletins, verses 17 to 36. And just as, as a way of reminder where we're at, Paul has returned to Jerusalem. Uh, he's uh, entered into a home of, uh, of one of the Christians there. Now he's about to head off to see James and the elders. Um, and he has brought gifts from the Gentile churches. And he's excited to celebrate Pentecost with his fellow brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, everything that can go wrong kind of does. Uh, uh, this wasn't completely unexpected after all. The pro- prophecies that we looked at last week kept saying, when you go, you're going to get arrested. Things are going to go terribly. But he goes anyway. So with that introduction, let's turn to our text. You can find it in your bulletins, Acts chapter 21, verses 17 to 36, or you can follow along in your Bibles. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their their children or walk according to our customs. What, then, is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do, therefore, what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself among them, along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he couldn't learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to this word uh, in just awe and wonder uh, at, at the way you work. Uh, here's Paul, faithful minister, and he goes home. He goes back to Jerusalem, and he's beaten and arrested. Uh, Lord, help us to understand your word this morning, uh, and help us, uh, as we study your word, to not only see the faithfulness of Paul, but to see the faithfulness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes things don't turn out the way you thought they would. We've all had that experience, right? We have a, some a big event or um, something we've been gearing up for, uh, and we've pictured it in our minds, we've pictured all the things that are going to happen, uh, and then only to find out that it doesn't pan out. It doesn't work out the way that we had thought when we become disappointed. Maybe it's a re- reunion with old friends. You know, you get together with your old friends, you think it's just going to be like old times, and there's just this sinking feeling that... We're just not the same anymore. It's different. You know, you get, you, you've had that experience. You, you've come to a situation and it's just not what you expected. Uh, well, Paul had one of these moments. He finally meets James and the elders. He's excited to tell them about everything that's gone on. And to their credit, they're excited too to hear what's going on. But they immediately kind of lay down the issues, if you will present the problem. I'm sure for Paul he had expected some uh, flack, but he didn't expect it from within the Christian community. He's been planning for a long time to come back. He'd risked life and limb to get there. He'd said goodbye to all his friends. Uh, Yeah, he'd been warned by prophecy that things wouldn't go as planned. Uh, But it didn't, it just wasn't what he expected, was it? Here he is with his fellow believers, with James the Just. That's what the whole city of Jerusalem called him. We we learn from writers like Josephus, a Jew, not a Christian, who, who refers to him as James the Just. Here he is, seeing his friends. And they call him in and ask him to prove his credentials as a Jewish Christian. Well, we'll examine all this, but I want us to think about what it means to be faithful to Christ no matter the turn of events, no matter the situation that we find ourselves in. And and what is faithfulness? When we talk about faithfulness, what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is is that unswerving allegiance, right? Uh, When we talk about faithfulness to Christ, we're talking about the trait of sticking to Him, sticking with Him. Following Christ, obeying Him even when it means losing everything. Paul has faithfully followed Christ all these years. He's risked life and limbs, I already said, for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. But now in our text, he's faced with maybe one of the greatest challenges. Faithfulness to Christ, even amongst Christians. Right? That's the situation. James lays it out for him. There's Christians, Jewish Christians, who are saying things about you, Paul. How is Paul to respond? Faithfully. Well, as we'll see, being faithful isn't always cut and dry as we might think. 
there are sometimes hard and thorny gray areas that we'll find ourselves in. And so what do we do? What do you and I do? How do, how do we respond faithfully? We're called to be faithful, but it's only possible to be faithful by knowing that Christ himself was faithful. That's it. I think following Christ is is recognizing that even in our conundrums and the challenges that we face, even in our unfaithfulness, we have to be reminded that we have a faithful Savior who is faithful to the end. And that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, We're called to be faithful to our faithful Savior. So, let's look at this. We'll look at this in three parts. First, faithfulness means glorifying God. Our text begins with Paul going to Jerusalem and meeting with James and the elders. In verse 19 it says, After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. You see, Paul hasn't been back to Jerusalem in eight years or so, basically since the Jerusalem Council. Remember, the Jerusalem Council, they had wrestled over this question of how do we incorporate Gentile Christians into the community? Do they have to go through all the rites of becoming Jewish first, a.k.a. getting circumcised? Uh, That was the big conundrum. And they came out saying, no, they don't have to become Jewish in that sense, but it's wise, it's a good thing that they should abstain from certain things, from uh, eating food sacrificed to idols, from uh, eating food that still has blood in it or that has been strangled, certain things that would have been a major offense to the the Jews. Uh, They kind of made this what seemed like somewhat of a compromise, but it was was done as an, an act of love. But that was what came out of the Jerusalem Council. And Paul and the uh, uh, Barnabas and others took that letter across the sort of Roman Christian world as it was expanding outward. And he's been gone for eight years. And since that point of leaving, he's been faithful in proclaiming the gospel across Greece and Asia Minor, establishing churches wherever he went. We've been looking at this for the past you know, you know, chapters and chapters of how he's gone from city to city, how he's been chased down and beaten, how he's almost faced death, uh, and yet he's faithful, continually ministering the gospel. This was Paul's mission, and he returns to Jerusalem having completed the task that he set out to do, and he's come to share it with his brothers. Not only share it, but he brings a gift from the churches to them. It's interesting that we don't get any mention of the gift. This is maybe part of the disappointment for Paul. He comes bearing gifts from the Gentile believers, and immediately James and the elders plop him down with, uh, with issues. Uh, that are going on there. But nevertheless, he comes to, to give this good report. And what do we notice about his sharing of the work that he has done? I think the most prominent, important thing that we see is that he gives all the glory to God. Did you see that in this, in this section? Verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders. Verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that Paul had done. No, the things that God had done among the Gentiles through this ministry. One aspect of being faithful is humility. It's recognizing that all that we do, all that we accomplish, is not for us, it's not about us, it's not by us, ultimately. Rather, faithfulness 
is, is to Christ and from Him. All of Paul's working was not Paul working, but it was God working through Paul. He was simply the conduit or, or the servant. And in so doing, it pointed to God and His glory. He's the one that enables us. Now, now don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that we don't enjoy a sense of accomplishment when we accomplish something. Uh, The differences that are boasting, and now Paul is boasting, but he's boasting in Christ. He's boasting in the Lord. Um, It's saying, look at what Christ has accomplished. Look at what God has done through me, His servant, His conduit. Isn't it marvelous to see Christ at work? There's a great scene from Chariots of Fire. I'm sure for those of you of a certain generation, uh, you've heard this illustration a few times. Um, nevertheless, it's apropos, so we're going we're gonna to do it. Uh, Eric Little, Liddell is talking, and he says, I feel that God has made me for a purpose to go to China as a missionary. But He has also made me fast. That's what he says. And, and, and he goes on and he says, And when I run, I feel His pleasure. And it goes on, he says a few other things, and he says, it's not just fun. To win is to honor Him. In other words, Eric Liddell is saying, God has made me this way. When I run, it's not my glory that I, that's being received. When I run, I'm receiving pleasure from God as He receives glory in who He's made. It's not about me. No matter how good of a job we do, it's not faithful to God if it's done in pride. And self-promotion or for praise. How easy it would have been for Paul to come in and say, look at all the things I've done. I'm the great Apostle Paul. James, yeah, you had it easy here in Jerusalem. I've also been a bit general saying the things that you do, right? I haven't really talked specifically, what do I mean? Are we just talking about when you go off on Christian mission or you're a missionary or you're a pastor or something? No, I don't think that I don't think that's it. That's certainly what Paul was doing. He was going off as a missionary. But I think this command is for everything that we do. Everything. Same principle, your job, your schooling, your playing in sports, your music, your parenting, your caring for aging parents, your, you name it. It's to be done to the glory of God. In the words of, of Eric Liddell, for the pleasure of God. That he might receive all glory and honor. The problem is... Sin, in its very essence, its very nature, can be boiled down to this single idea. We are by nature, as sinners, glory thieves. We desire glory. Adam and Eve in the garden, what did they want? They wanted to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? So they could become what? Like God. They wanted to know what God knew. They wanted to, to understand what God understood. They wanted all knowledge. They wanted glory. That's our, our biggest fundamental issue. We're glory thieves. Faithfulness to Christ is the exact opposite. Faithfulness to God means giving Him His rightful due to find joy in pleasing Him and pointing to Him. And honoring Him. So here Paul finds himself at the end of his long missionary journey, relaying how God 
has been at work. As a faithful servant, he points to God. And so, to the praise of God. And this is what happens. Verse 20. And when they heard it, did they glory in Paul? No, it says, they glorified God. Does this kind of faithfulness mark your life? Why do you do what you do? Whatever that is. Something to think about. Faithfulness. In life is to bring glory to God. All right, second, faithfulness means giving glory to God, but faithfulness also means loving well. Loving well. Our text takes that unexpected turn that I intimated at the beginning of the sermon. Um, or, or at least I think that Paul is probably a little taken off guard. Immediately following this praising and glorifying God for the work among the Gentiles, James takes a different tone. Uh, he immediately says, Yay, praise God, all these Gentile Christians, but Paul, we have a problem. <laughs> it's one of those moments where everything in one moment seemed jubilant and then the next seemed very grave. Have you ever experienced anything like that where all of a sudden like this like wet blanket comes down? Uh, a couple of years ago, I helped orchestrate a sabbatical for the senior pastor of our church. Uh, he'd been going strong for 10 years. He was worn out, and he needed a real break, and it was showing. And, and so the session, and I sent him off uh, for the summer. He, he and his wife and kids, they went off to Greece to help uh, with uh, refugees uh, through a church there in Greece. Uh, it was a great time. In the meantime, at the church, amongst some people in the church, there was a conflict that was brewing. And it was one of the messiest conflicts that I've had to deal with personally. Um, all sorts of hurt and offenses broke out in the church. And, and, I, and as a you know, sort of learning associate pastor, I was uh, uh, trying to do my best. Um, longing for the senior pastor to come back. <laughs> and uh, he did. He came back and we went out to dinner and we were talking about all the great things that had happened on their trip. They were so jubilant. And then I said, and by the way, Matt, we got issues. It's like a wet blanket. You could just see his eyes kind of glaze over. She entered back into the thick of it. You can kind of get that feel. Have you ever been in a place like that? The wind kind of taken out of the sails. I picture that moment here with Paul and James. Look at verses 20 and 21. Remember, they heard it and they glorified God and they said to him, You see, brother, this is an immediate switch, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Praise God. They're all zealous for the law. Warning sign. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Here's the problem. You see, Paul had received a reputation. Maybe you could call him like the loosey-goosey apostle. <laughs> the, the, the liberal apostle. I don't know, I don't know what, they, what they would have called him. Uh, he was against Moses and the, and the traditions. Uh, and I can only imagine how much this grieved the Apostle Paul. Next week we'll see him pour out his heart and share how he was just like them, zealous for the law, even more so until he met Christ. 
I don't doubt that he also worried about their faith, that they might have the wrong foundation, that they might still see their obedience as the operative thing in saving them. I don't know. We aren't told much. But James doesn't leave it as a report for Paul. He doesn't say, Paul, this is what's going on. He then goes on to say, Paul, here's what you're going to do. A way of sort of appeasing or soothing these new converts who are concerned about Paul. So what is it that, that he calls them to do? This is, this is kind of, a, it may seem a little strange at first blush, but I think it'll make sense. He says in verse 22, What then is to be done? They will certainly hear uh, that you have come. Do therefore what, you t- what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. This is all seems very odd, but uh, if we were to go back into the book of Numbers, this was directly related to what was called a Nazarite vow. It was a vow that one might take, and pa- Paul himself had actually taken a similar vow, though he didn't go through all the ritual process for a particular purpose, to commit himself to a particular thing. A male or a female could have taken this kind of vow and what they would do is they wouldn't shave their head, they would, they would grow out their hair, they would grow out their beard, they would eat uh, you know, only certain foods, they wouldn't drink any wine, they couldn't touch anything dead. There was all sorts of r- rules and regulations uh, that, and these four men had for whatever reason taken this Nazarite vow. And so it was James's thought that if you went to the temple with these four men, you paid for, because there was offerings involved, pigeons and, and lamb that they, had to, that they had to offer up at the temple, and that you would go through the ritual purification process. Um, if you would go through the ritual purification process, uh, that you you would uh, then people would see you in the temple, they would realize that you are not against the law. That was James's thought. Do you see a problem here for Paul? I talked about there being kind of a gray area. Like, hasn't he been talking and railing against the Judaizers and those who would force the Gentiles to, to go back into uh, the ways of the law because Christ was the fulfillment of these things? All that sacrificial stuff, wasn't it done away with in Christ? You can see for the Apostle Paul how doing this thing might he might be seen as, well... A hypocrite? It might confuse the Gentile believers. He might have a moral compunction against doing it. Remember in the, in the book of Galatians, he says, if, if anyone preaches any other gospel, and when he says any other gospel, he particularly meant a legalistic gospel of putting yourself back under the law of Moses. He said, may, them, may that person be anathema. That means uh, accursed. He says, even if I do that, may I be accursed. Now you, you kind of get the feel. Okay, so Paul, what are you going to do? You've been told by James to do this thing that is very much wrapped up in Old Testament worship. But, if he does not do this, and people continue to think of him in a particular light, he has the potential of pushing away all these new Jewish converts. They may, they may re- reject, they may continue to believe this lie that, 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 that had been promoted, that he was requiring all sorts of things from the Jewish converts as well as the, uh, uh, the Jewish converts that they had to reject everything with regard to their history. Do you see the problem that, that Paul faces here? 
The problem puts Paul back in this position, performing the sacrificial rites of the law that were supposed to point to Jesus, or pushing away these young believers. First of all, I want to say commentators on this point are pretty evenly split as to whether Paul is justified in going along with the plan. And I I point that out because I think there are so many things in our life when, when we're asked to make a faithful decision, it's not that clear. Right? You've been there. You've had to make a decision. Which is the most faithful pass, passageway to obeying Christ? It's not always black and white. I think Paul was in one of those situations. I want to be fair to James. He isn't asking the Gentile converts either to do the same thing. In fact, he reiterates the letter they had sent out. He says, remember, I'm not talking about Gentiles, Paul. I'm, Paul, I'm talking about you going and doing this. But you can imagine the dilemma Paul's in. I'm sure he anguished over it. Have you ever been in a situation where the options all seemed bad? <laughs> I have. How do you remain faithful? Whether it was the right decision or not, it's hard to say, though I tend to think he had the Christian freedom at this point to go into the temple with these Nazarites and help them with their vow and purify himself. And we can take our cues from other scripture as well for the sake of Paul. Remember, he had Timothy circumcised. Right? Why? Because it was a benefit to his ministry among the Jews. So, at least at one point, we can say that... that That was a good thing. Secondly, Paul himself talks about becoming all things to all people. 1 Corinthians 9 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. He's clarifying. Me doing these things, it's not because I I need to. It's It's a freedom. To those outside the law, I become as one of the, uh, those outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but being under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. <laughs> Pretty modest. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. In other words, I think Paul was free... He didn't perform the Nazarite purification rite in order to be pure, but in order to win those under the law. So what drove Paul to undergo this rite? This is a long way around, I realize. That's a big... I had to explain it, but why? What does it look like? Why did he do this? He did it for love. He sacrificed his freedom in Christ in order to show love to these Jewish brothers. Friends, what does it look like to be faithful to Christ? It is to show love. It means sacrificing even those things that we hold dear, our freedoms. How often do we give up our freedoms for the sake of others? That's the nature of love. In the end, I think Paul did what was best. It was certainly a hard decision, a gray area, a dilemma. 
But Paul followed Christ in sharing and showing self-sacrificing love. Well, we've seen how faithfulness means doing all things to the glory of God. And secondly, how faithfulness means loving well, even to the point of sacrificing our freedoms. And here's what I want to, where I want to conclude. Faithfulness means following Christ. I just mentioned that Paul follows Christ by selflessly giving up his freedom for the sake of these Jewish converts. But his, but his following Christ doesn't just stop with his purification rites. Let's see what happens. At the end of the period of the ritual purification for the Nazarite vow, uh, he was seen in the temple by Jews from Asia, likely some of those who ran him out of places like Iconium and Lycia, uh, Lystra. Do you remember those places where he was almost stoned to death, where he was run out of each town? And seeing him, they began spreading rumors that he was teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and the temple, and that he was even bringing Greeks into the temple. And I'll just stop here. If Paul brought Greeks into the temple, he would have been liable to death even under Roman law. There was, there was, if there was any law that was uh, that the Romans agreed with, you know, to help appease the Jewish community, it was this one: Gentiles do not enter the temple. And if a Gentile enters the temple, or you bring a Gentile into the temple, you are subject to death by Roman rule. And it doesn't even matter if you're a Roman citizen. So, if this were true, which it wasn't, Paul would have been liable to death. But it was conjecture. They had seen Paul earlier walking with this Greek friend of his. But it was enough to rile the crowds at the temple who proceeded to seize Paul, to beat Paul, and to prepare to stone him to death. What do the Romans do? They hear the hubbub, they rush out, and they, they go down to the riot because what are Romans about? Law and order. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really care that much about what's going on in the Jewish world, but they want law and order. So they rush out, they arrest Paul to figure out what's going on, even as the people are crying away with him. Away with him. In fact, they're pressing in and trying to get at him that so much so that they have to lift him up and carry him. <laughs> His life was threatened. There are echoes here, aren't there? Unmistakable echoes of Jesus as he was arrested. As the crowds were yelling, crucify him. Paul was following his Savior. I love all those hymns we sang at the beginning about the faith of our fathers. The Hebrews 11 passage, those who were sawn in two following Christ. But there's a gross difference between what Paul does and what Christ does. Yes, Paul faithfully followed Jesus and willingly put his life in jeopardy in order to share Christ. But that's it. That's all. He shared Christ. You see, Christ's faithfulness to God is of a whole other order. There was never even the hint of compromise with Him. And at the same time, He loved fully and completely 
And in his prayer in the upper room, when he was called, when it, the one that we call the high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prays, Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. In other words, Jesus glorified God perfectly. He sacrificially loved perfectly. But he didn't follow. He led. He went to the cross. First and faithfully, and he laid down his life that he might save glory thieves. That he might save us. That he might save those of us who struggle to love well, who struggle to glorify God in all that we do, who struggle to follow him daily, and in those tough decisions often make poor decisions. He gave himself. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was crucified. In that same prayer, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. You see, he deserves all the glory. And yet when he was praying those words, Father, glorify the Son, what he had in mind was the cross. Friends, What does it mean to be faithful? It means to follow the faithful one. To put our hope in Jesus. The truth is that we fail. That we seek our own glory. That we fail to love others. But we have a Savior who never fails. Who is always faithful. And who by the power of His Spirit gives us the strength to walk in faith and follow Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to You our our weakness in this, our struggle to even discern the best path to take. We pray that You would give us a heart that desires to bring You all the glory. Have the heart that desires to love as You have loved, self-sacrificially. And Lord, that we would be faithful in following You wherever You lead that we would lose our life, but that we would find it in You. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name.